You're listening to Being Built. I'm Aaron Davis, the host, here with Matt Hale. Welcome to the show and to my office. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so how was your week? This week, big news is, is we just closed $8 million round of funding through MK yeah. Capital out of uh, out of Chicago. Wow, that gives you a lot of runway. That's cool. Yeah, it does. You're the CTO or CIO? The CTO. CTO of Anosics. Of Anosics. Right? I always call it a startup, but it's a... Uh... It's an eight-year company now, so I don't know if we can call it a startup. Um, We still act like a startup. We still think like a startup. We try and be as agile and open-minded as possible. But we've been building up this company. I mean, I started out actually as a mobile developer. Oh, really? And it's funny because we don't actually do mobile development anymore. We've kind of like evolved into we don't do integration for SAP to a lot of different things, primarily focusing in... Salesforce, but this last year we actually launched um, two new product lines for MuleSoft. Okay. MuleSoft, we're now a MuleSoft um, certified partner, and we're also a ServiceNow certified partner as well. So what do those service partner relationships do for you? Like, what's the impact for that? And both of those instances, and also we're a Salesforce certified partner, um, it does help as like a source of like leads. So we do have, do have like um, dedicated partner managers that work okay. th- with all those channels. Um, they're able to bring in leads. Um, we also work with those um, companies during their deal cycles as well. Okay. And then from my perspective, I'm over the product development and product organization as all. I work with those product teams within those um, companies with people who are managing like specific uh, product parts within like Salesforce with their uh, manufacturing industries, mm-hmm. um, cloud with ServiceNow. We're working uh, within their OT, which is an operational technology okay um industry cl- uh cloud and in their thanks IT for dumbing it down for me I, I, you knew that question yeah. was coming what are you talking about <laughs> yeah so then they they have um with mulesoft we it's with a connector that works with their AnyPoint exchange platform what's anosics do so tell me a little bit about the product like at the if a stranger was hearing this for the first right time. so anosics is actually greek for unification so okay. we like to think name. that we integrate the front end and back office we specialize in sap and not and we say we're really sap experts and have deep knowledge in sap integration and we allow for um, integrating somebody's front-end application so that would be like their crm system their it service management system or really any other front-end system of engagement to have deep integration into sap without as a pre-packaged solution so that means it's kind of like just turning on a spigot and you have that functionality of not just integration but um, screens and components to integrate to actually feel like you're interacting with sap as if you were natively inter- interacting with the SAP application. So it looks and feels like you're interacting with SAP. But you're not. I see. Yes. Okay. And customers like that because they don't want to do swivel chair. They don't want to have these back-end um, slow uh, data movement operations where they're waiting to get information. They may have to, you know, they may have to do some nightly batch synchronization to get that information. Or you just get broken processes when you're trying to move stuff between one system and another. A file upload fails or some records within a file upload fails. My order doesn't actually get created. And then my customer's like, where's the order? You know, or they're doing uh, manual processes for quoting. So, you know, that there's a sales rep 
They're out there taking specs from the customer. They write it up, then have to send it over to an engineer who's entering all that stuff into SAP. They're waiting, you know, a week to get a quote back from a customer. What we enable is like in Salesforce CPQ, they can get real-time pricing, this customer-specific pricing, material-specific pricing down to options for um, configure to order or made to order goods within their front-end quoting system. And there's not a lot of companies that are doing that deep level of pre-built integration. Give me an example of a, a, the type of customer. What's a typical customer who would use a Nostix uh, system for integrating SAP? One of our latest customers that actually signed with us is uh, Carl Zeiss, um, who builds like optical um, equipment, like microscopes. They have machines for doing like laser eye surgery. These are all half million dollar machines okay. that are all custom configured with all the different options. It goes into like what are the different features that are for like uh, the machine that's performing laser eye surgery. What's the computer that is controlling that piece of equipment? What are the, the options for that computer? What's the software that's uh, required for the options or different uh, features that are enabled for the software to control that piece of equipment? Another one of our customers is uh, Sunny's Car Wash. They actually build car washes for okay. better installed. So nice. it's like, what's the different like brushes and different, you know, options that apply soap? Like what's the dimensions of the site where the thing is being installed? So like all of those go into the configuration of these complex machines. And the only way to do that is to access all of this pre-configured, um, pre-programmed logic that exists inside of their ERP SAP system. And no one wants to have to recreate that and move that to some other system that is easier to engage with than maybe having your salespeople go interact with SAP, which yeah. is, is kind of more built for an engineering okay. team. So salespeople are often your end user. Yes. Okay. So when they're having to utilize lots of different fields with the kind of deep levels of detail in SAP, they don't have to get into SAP. They can use their app or whatever. That's cool. Okay, so that I think for the first time I understood Anosics a little bit. Anosics was a customer of mine way back when. Yep. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that I just got to a new level of understanding about it. So what do you do specifically as the CTO there? You're building the product, right? The uh, products, yes. So tell me a little bit about your team and, and how, how you guys work. Including myself, we have a team of 12. <laughs> and we mainly focus on all of the integration components from how do you connect SAP to Salesforce? How's the communication channel over the internet? going to be secured? What are the components that have to run in the cloud? How do we access an on-prem system? What are the front-end components that actually have to run inside of Salesforce or inside of ServiceNow? Um, we have to pre-build all of those components and package them up. And then they're handed over to our delivery team that actually does, works with the customers and they customize the applications okay. um, specific to like their business requirements. Not everybody has brushes. Right. Yeah, not everyone. Yeah, not everyone's. There's only a few people selling car washes out there. But it's, yeah, not everybody's selling laser surgery equipment and car washes and such, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so you have a lot. Of, you have kind of a customized component to your product, and then I'm assuming like new features get added and functionality in the application as well. Yeah, we build a lot of components that are designed to be configured and designed to be extended. So a lot of the things we do in our products is we build what I like to think of as like little escape hatches of like 
the customer's going to have something custom for this. That's going to be some custom business process, business logic. We need to build a way for this to be customized at this point. Okay. And then we hand that over to the delivery team and they actually do those customizations. Okay. In those points. Delivery team is is that a large team? Is that a pretty is that a kind of a number? Um, well it's like a hybrid team of employees and contractors that are okay. both like onshore and offshore. And you said Anastics is eight years old now? Mm-hmm. When you mentioned the you know it still feels like a startup kind of thing. I, I know that feeling. I worked yep. for a twelve year old startup once. Yeah, or maybe it was about ten years old. It still had that startup feeling. You know, it's funny when you when you said that. I, it occurred to me how many big companies wish they still felt like that. You know, you get to be you know a hundred people and you have all these layers and hierarchy. I was just talking with a customer about this today. It's exciting and it's sad to grow to that point where you have this um, kind of stifling you know organization. It's interesting because we're at about forty. I don't think we're quite to 45. We're around 40, 45 employees right now. The last two years, we've had these um, all-company get-together. So like our last all-company get-together was just here. In, we have them in February. Okay. This year, we were down in New Orleans. And then the year before that, we were in Tampa. Mm. And, you know, and we're on this trajectory. Now where we're going to grow. We're probably, you know, by the end of this year, we'll probably be 50, 60, you know, employees, mm. something like that. So it's like kind of like, once you start getting to that size, having like everybody in the company get together, you know, for a week to, you know, to, because we're a completely remote company. Those are kind of like our, our boost every year. We do that like at yeah. the kickoff at the beginning of the first quarter where we talk about, you know, what are the new initiatives? You know, what's I come up with? Hey, this is what the product roadmap's going to be for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. I present that to the rest of the, to the rest of the company. We talk about sales objectives and you know, what are our objectives for the year? What markets are we going to target? Like, what things are we targeting? Um, and then it's also just great to get, to get, you know, that's your time to like FaceTime with everybody, yeah. you know, not only with on your own team, but like, you know, people that most of the year you're just on Zoom calls with them or you see them at, you know, events, that type of stuff. Yeah. Somebody might not see hardly at all. Oh, yeah. Right so it's, so it is interesting because now we're thinking of like, well, you know, how are we going to keep that, you know, tight knit? You know, everyone can talk to everybody and, you know, we see each other every year. How do you keep that moving as the company grows and gets bigger, yeah. you know, where you get past like 100 employees? This is really tough to, you know, bring 100 employees all together yeah. once in one place. Then you need staff just to do event planning or you need to yeah, you know, exactly. get a consultant that does that for you or something. But yeah, I've been part of a, I guess it was about a between 1,000 and 1,500 annual meeting. Mm-hmm. A big company, and that's a whole undertaking. You know, that's somebody's job for five months or whatever. Yeah, just so, planning all of yeah, that. Probably yeah. a small team doing that, right? But uh, yeah, it certainly changes. Um, I'm a team of four at present, so when we get together, it's like, hey, let's meet up for a beer, yeah. right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on over, hang out in the office of the studio or whatever, right? Yeah, it's pretty easy. But you, in the span of a couple of years, have gone from a couple dozen to now you're looking at sixty. So things do change quick. It's funny when you show up and like. Who is this? What is this group? Right. 15 people you have never met in person or whatever. And, you know, when that's 25 percent of the team, it's a big deal. I mean, yeah. So like at this last, you know, thing that we had in New Orleans, I mean, there were people that I had not met, you know, personally, even somebody who reported to me. So I had somebody who um, she's up in uh, Minnesota and I had not seen like met her in person Mm -hmm. for nine months. Is your staff like all over the country Mm -hmm. or are they pretty? 
pretty No, they're well all close. over. I have some. I have kind of like a quorum of some people who are here in the Cincinnati area just mm-hmm. because the company's That's based out of Cincinnati. It started. Uh, but it's been remote the whole time. There's people, all of those people in Chicago. We've got people uh, down in different parts of Texas, people out in California, people over in like the rally area. We've got some people who are actually over in Austria. And I don't imagine ever moving my company into an office. Companies starting now, it, it almost seems like a, a silly idea to even have to concern yourself with. Right. right. A lot of new and starting businesses or whatever just would rather not deal with the hassle of it. Yeah, there are hassles in having a remote team, but there are hassles in having a building too, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we never we had a couple different buildings that we shared with other companies, mm-hmm. and we had some different uh, like shared working spaces that we like the fuel collective. We were in there for like uh, about a year. Yep. It's funny. We were actually looking at getting a new office down at um, Fountain Square, mm-hmm. and we were going to sign the week before the pandemic hit. Really? Yep. Dams that bullet, huh? Yep, we dodged that bullet, but yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, ever since then, there's really not been an idea of, hey, we would open in like headquarters or anything like that. Does it make sense to just have, you know, shared working spaces to work on for like projects and stuff like yeah. that? I enjoy those spaces just to bump into people. Yeah. Even, even when I'm just by myself, right? <laughs> even if it's not just to have energy of people around you building stuff and doing cool things. I, yeah. It's sometimes when you're small and you work at home or by yourself or whatever, it gets kind of boring in a human kind of way. Yeah. So even if I put my headphones in and I work in a busy space with people moving around, somehow it energizes me. Not every day, but occasionally. You know, every couple of weeks, I'll do something like that. So the new round of funding is cool. That's big news. Yep. Um, and that's fresh news. I mean, we were working on that since last year. Really? Um, yeah. Just to like due diligence and... I'm sure you had some part in um, some product roadmap and yep. vision. So, product yep. vision this, looking through our, yeah, so there's plenty of due diligence on our product and our strategy and everything, which it's interesting. I mean, it's good to get feedback at that kind of like, you know, level of, you know, outside, are we going to invest in this company? Are you, do you guys have a sound? Do you have sound products? Do you have sound, you know, business goals? So it's interesting to get that kind of feedback and to have others instead of just having that sales, you know, because... Usually, company like ours, it's just, you know, you, you have those metrics of, you know, what are investors saying of like your company, you know, then that's kind of one barometer of how you're gauged. But then you also have, you know, your sales. So it's just kind of interesting to see those two different things where, you know, it's like mm-hmm. normally quarter to quarter, it's all sales focused mm-hmm. on, you know, okay, are we increasing our ARR? What, mm-hmm. you know, are we meeting our sales goal- goals? But then there's obviously, you know, um, expansion through investment. So, Intuitive, you would think, I'm growing this business with other people's money, so I'm going to be less responsible and less accountable. The actual, the opposite is true. No, it's, yes. Because it, I know this from experience. When it's your own money, you feel at liberty to be careless and, and, and make big risks, right? Yeah. When it's somebody else's money, you have a, a tremendous amount of accountability. You have a tremendous amount of responsibility. Um, you, you answer you know, to somebody who's got very... And you also enjoy the benefit of that party being an outside perspective, right? And I think one of the beauties of you know venture capital or outside investors in general is you have somebody else you have to prove it to, right? So this like yeah. conviction that you have based on your anecdotal kind of experience or your subjective experience or other is a uh, you know is challenged by somebody who's maybe not you know kind of sold in your you know maybe not exactly from your background. I think that's a good thing. It creates a, a 
the kind of scrutiny you should have as you're building something and hiring people and taking product to market. It can be a nice asset, actually. Yeah. It, it also creates pressure. What's interesting, because a lot of the feedback we got was mainly on not only the product, the product sound, you know, they also talked to our customers, they talked to really? our, our partnerships, you know, our partnerships with Salesforce, ServiceNow, MuleSoft, they check in on all that kind of stuff as part of due diligence. But then they also want to hear like, what's your, like, what's your sales, you know, what are your, how are you selling? What are the techniques you're using? Mm-hmm. They also do give you feedback at the end. That's like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, maybe you're not thinking about this. It's just also good just to kind of get that sanity check. Cause when you're yeah. doing it like day in and day out, you always forget like all these little things. Like yeah. even when I was explaining it to, to people, it's like, you forget about all these little things that just you think are, you know, well, that's easy or, you know, everyone should know that. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't. It's good to get that kind of like outside perspective of like, well, tell me more information about that. And it's like, oh, wait a second. Okay. You know, these people are not experts in this space. Yeah. Yeah. How you're selling is intriguing. That's kind of interesting that you would kind of get the, you know, what's your technique, not just what are you selling or how much are you selling or whatever, but to actually get some scrutiny and then some input on how you're selling. That's kind of interesting. I guess what's the bottleneck then? So when you get this big infusion of capital then, what's the, what's the opportunity that that creates? What's that kind of hump that it'll help you get over? And, and then that kind of segues into another question, which is where do you see Anosics going in the next year or yeah. two? So a lot of that is actually going to go into um, the product team as far as building out the product team. We're looking at adding about six people over the next 12 months. Are there specific uh, functionality or... Yeah, it's mainly developers um, for Salesforce, some front-end development resources. Um, A lot of the... So it's interesting because we are, you know, we only have a team of 12 and there's really only four, like four, like developers. Mm -hmm. Like who are just sold, like developer, you're just working on tickets, you're developing... You know, you hand it off to QA. I've got two QA people. Mm-hmm. I've got some other, uh, I've got a development manager, a QA manager, a business analyst, and then um, another person who's actually just, um, they do training. They do internal training on all the products to enable the sales team. Okay. The stuff that we're selling is super complicated because it's all these integrations and it's a ton of different tech of like Salesforce, ServiceNow, SAP. Like mm. it's tough to just bring in a salesperson and like, not have their head spin. Yeah. So it's like one of the one of the things we've been working over the last year is actually like, how do we create like digestible stuff to make uh, digestible content like through it through uh, learning management internal learning management platform for all of our products and all of the technology that surrounds those products, mm-hmm. so that way our sales teams can be informed mm-hmm. enough to have intelligent conversations with mm-hmm. people. Yeah, I was going to ask you like, aren't you going to invest in sales? But to an element to a degree, you are with the learning element there. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the complexity of your product that does make sense that sales enablement is probably just as important, if not more important, than the volume of people knocking on doors, right? Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, because if the sale if the salespeople don't understand how the stuff works or they're just uh, they um, are not confident and mm-hmm. enough to be able to communicate well with the customers. Mm-hmm it makes the sales process very difficult. They're constantly have to bring in myself or one of you know my technical people to kind of back them up. I don't, I mean, I 
personally don't think they really need the backup, but they need the confidence to be able to mm-hmm. get on a phone with a customer, explain it well enough to be able to get to the next point, which is where we bring in our solutions engineers. They can build customized demos to mm-hmm. show to a customer. And really, I mean, from what we've seen, once we kind of get to that demo, we've got like a 50-50 shot right. of, of actually sold by Yeah, of being able to close a deal with a customer. Um, but it's like just getting them to have enough information so that way they know the context around where our solution fits into a business user's process mm-hmm. to be able to sit, to be able to convince them to get to that next point. Product, sales enablement. So some of the stuff we're building out actually this year that the develop that these resources are going to help with is where solution to date has mainly been uh, what some people like to call a point to point solution. So we have. Salesforce and SAP directly talking to each other through mm-hmm. this you know, channel um, that's our own proprietary protocol, okay. essentially. Um, it's an HTTP protocol, but it's fairly, um, it's not something standardized. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we're moving those to an API layer, so mm-hmm. that way we're able to then allow customers to run those transactions through MuleSoft, or run it through our own API layer that's running in SAP Cloud. Hmm. Um, and that's gonna also open up channels where people can just call those APIs without our front-end technology. So okay. it allows it to be extended out to other other platforms. That's hmm. how we're able to interface with ServiceNow. Hmm. Okay. Um, and it's um, being able to uh, kind of build the next version of a lot of the technology stack that we have, mm-hmm. and then also redundancy. So. We're at one point in time running between four and six projects at a time yeah. with four developers. So like if anybody's on vacation, anybody's it's out, slow down. it's all slows down. Yeah. yeah. Like I had somebody that was out sick three days this week um, and that knocked a project back a week. Yeah. Just for a little cold. It's, it's yep. Really just for weird. a cold. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So a lot of it's also just building in redundancy to the team. Yeah. So you can back each other up and still make progress on things. You've been with them for several years now. You said you started yeah. as a mobile dev. And started as a mobile developer. Kind of took on some management response, leadership responsibility, right? Yeah. So I was, I think I've had four different positions there. So okay. I was a mobile developer that then became their first Salesforce developer, taught myself Salesforce at the same time. And then I became the director of development. And then I um, was then actually the tech, the, like the senior technical architect. Okay. And then from that became the um, CTO. How many years have you been there now? Seven and wow, a half. okay, good. Seven yeah. and a half. So I started like after they were there for about six months. Okay, so you were pretty early in. Yes, when I started, there was, I think there was only like four or five people at the company. You were in the early batch. Yeah. If you can recall mm-hmm. what you expected in Nosics as an organization and a, a product, and it's really a product suite, you multiple products, right? Yeah. Like if you can think back then, seven years ago, what you imagined uh, that organization being, what surprises you now when you, when you think back to what you expected and what you imagined it being? What's happened or transpired or what have you learned or run into that you didn't expect back then? I would say the what you're doing those first like years as like a startup mm-hmm. is really you're kind of just throwing darts at the wall. Yeah. Trying to figure out what, what what's gonna stick. Like at that point in time we were So you thought you were just gonna work for a year and then 
Oh, no, I didn't think I was just going to work for a year, but I would just say, you know, what you start off doing is not what you end up doing at the end. So, you know, we started off doing mobile development for SAP. We're going to do, you know, you know, enterprise mobile applications, still doing the same thing that we're doing now. We're we're enabling the front office to access the back office Mm -hmm. and that unified method, but we thought we were going to do it with uh, native, you know, mobile applications. I guess what we figured out is we were like way too early into into when that was actually going to happen inside of corporate America. We did have a bunch of companies, you know, we still have companies doing uh, Schindler elevators. Okay. They actually have uh, their application. So if there's ever an entrapment um, in an elevator, Mm -hmm. um, they have a mobile application that we built that runs through our framework that they submit service like it's a field service application for really for for you know reporting that back and and like handling that so i guess expecting that the organ uh, that the the world enterprise america was going to download native apps and uh, yeah that uh, that was going to be you know that well that everyone was at the, that point in time you know mobile applications were kind of you know yeah, everyone needed a mobile application right. and you know it, it seemed like that was you know this endless you know oasis of a uh, business but I think everyone, once they got into, okay, what does it take to actually build a mobile application? What does it take to manage a mobile mm-hmm. application and rolling it? I mean, the hardest thing was actually rolling this stuff out mm. to you know hundreds of business users. A lot of companies just weren't like, just didn't think of that and didn't understand like, well, it's not just the people building the software. We need something to manage all of these devices mm-hmm. and manage the software going out to people. So, yeah, true. So I think that was, that was some learning, you know, some learnings we got from it. Um, I would say like the way that we got into Salesforce actually is one of our customers um, saw some of the stuff that we were doing and saw, it was actually, a, we built a prototype for one customer to do integration to Salesforce. It's just a prototype of just like, a, they just a proof of concept for doing, um, this quoting and ordering process, okay. you know, um, and did the way it worked, it just did something in the background. It was, you know, wasn't super robust um, compared to what what we have now. But another customer actually saw that, and they were like, "This is this is exactly what we need." There's nothing that's doing anything like this. The customer doesn't want to spend millions of dollars to do this integration, and we right. think that you, you know, what you guys are doing, you know, you could help accelerate this project. So you productized it. Yeah, so we you know we build it with with the customer and, and productized it. I guess the biggest thing to learn from like those early days is you know what you start off with isn't you know it's very hard to figure out where you're going to be a year you know the mm-hmm. next year. Like we make stuff up though, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> we're innovating. I wouldn't say we're making stuff up. We're innovating. So I'm at our planning. We we bullshit ourselves a little yeah. bit. Like two years from now, we're going to be here, and then. You take a left turn and you don't even get close, right? You you know, you, sometimes you get directionally pulled somewhere, um, but it's, it's funny I mean, sometimes. Even now, I try not to plan more than six months into the future mm. on things. Like I have short, like, you know, short-term goals of like, okay, I know we're going to be able to do this in the next six months. I have, you know, you know, clarity on what we're going to be building mm-hmm. and that's not going to change. There's nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing that could happen externally you know like there's some new opportunity that comes up or something like mm-hmm. that or we need to shift direction or something like that none of that's going to change what that's going to happen but then there's stuff you know six months and then like next year you know it's really hard to tell what we'll be doing then yeah. i mean i have roadmap for that but 
that's always kind of, you know, it's it's kind of moving. Yeah, I mean, staying responsive, you call it agility, yeah. you know, that startup feel or whatever, where you're, so, you know, if you dial back five years or whatever, you're building mobile apps or whatever, seven years, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and you're thinking that's what it's going to be, we're going to build mobile apps and support it for, you know, the enterprise, America is all going to have our mobile app. And how far off that was, right, from what it ended up being. It makes it hard then to say, to get to a point where you're like, this is what we do. We're going to do this well. We're going to keep doing this. And I think no matter how big you are, Netflix was mailing me DVDs. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. Like no matter how big you are, uh, you have to figure out how to pivot fast and hard, right? So eight years in, if you're still thinking in six-month chunks, right, I'm, you know, I'm looking out a year and a half, two years, whatever, but I'm planning you know, I'm making commitments that are months out, right? Right. Not years out. I think that's smart because three months from now, when you're in the middle of that, whatever kind of build or release or whatever you're working on, you'll learn something, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, we're, and we're that'll inform the year later. It's interesting because there's the things that you learn while you're building it. And then you learn the, there's the things you learn when you're implementing it. So okay. there's a big difference between, you know, we, you know, we're building, you know, these components, we're going to roll it out to a customer and then the first customer gets it and they're, they, Throw all these things that you couldn't think of. That, that sounds like you. you have a story in mind. Give me an example. Okay, so one of our customers, HD Supply, like we, you know, they, one of the things they wanted to do was uh, was single sign-on. So we need to be able to, um, because we're interacting with a fiduciary system mm. where they're creating orders, you want to make sure that the person who's creating the order has to be the same, it has to be the person in, in SAP. They need to be able okay. to track that back, that order creation back to the right person. I see. So one of the things for their for that account is we had to implement single sign on. Okay. You know, and we built that in our own SAP environments and we were um you know, we were able to build, you know, the single sign on solution. But then when we go to implement it with a customer, you're interacting with their with their IT resources, mm, with their okay. with their, you know, with their That's processes it. and all of that. Not a and, startup. <laughs> yeah, not a startup. An, an, a large enterprise that, you know, you can only jump on a call with them for an hour at a time. And it's you're lucky to get the right resources. Yeah. And when you're asking them to do something, it's like, I don't have access to do that. I got to go yeah. get a security team. the meeting team. might be a week out. Anyway. Yeah, I got to get somebody from the security team. And they're, you know, they're not available. Let me see if I can call them on the phone real quick. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stuff we learned from that is not only building the the product, but trying to build um, the guides or what are all the supporting things mm-hmm. that are going to be needed around it for the implementation to make the customer, you know, as enabled impo- as possible. So that yeah. way, you know, we're not stuck in these, you know, long meetings. It was pre-go-live checklist of sorts, right? Yes. Yeah. And well, actually, we came up with one of the things is, is we started building we started building templates for them of those checklists of all of these things yeah. and helping them with all of that. And it, you know, that kind of goes back to as you grow as an organization, you know, it's, it's, especially as a product organization, you start realizing that your products are not, are more than just the software components. Yeah. It's all your documentation. It's all your processes for how you're implementing with a customer. It's, you know, all that s- supplemental stuff that um, really makes you, um, unique as an organization. I think some of that stuff is actually kind of like your secret sauce. Yeah. Because you could have the best software in the world, but if you can't, you know, get the customer to buy it, make it 
easy for them to install, make it easy for them to use, make it easy for them to understand. Like, it doesn't matter if your software's better than somebody else. I'll give you a pizza analogy to that, right? So I have have two pizza apps on my phone. Speaking of apps that nobody wants. Um, (laughs) I rarely eat pizza anyway, so it's weird that I have those apps on my phone. Yeah, you know, it's just sidebar here, but it's... We have entered this era where nobody wants more apps on their phone anyway. Yeah. It's just clutter and it's annoying, right? But I, I do happen to have two pizza apps on my phone. One is Donato's, one is Domino's. I do me pizzas. And I don't love Domino's pizza, but I, I do I do love Donato's pizza, right? So yeah. the other day, well, last week, sometime we were going to order a pizza. And the Donato's app was so annoying that mm-hmm. I literally just bailed on it and got to Domino's. Just yeah. because the app was so like it. It like recycled me somewhere into another page or whatever. I'm like, I already filled out this page. You know, swipe, I'm getting Domino's, whatever. Because their app's great. And it's like five seconds later. And then, you know, it tells me the whole time how far it is. It's it's smooth, right? And it's in my, just it's obviously just my personal opinion. I don't like that pizza as much. But I don't care because it's just pizza to me, right? Yeah. It was crazy that in the same way, like your app is the thing that they're buying, right? But not really. They're buying your support. They're buying your implementation. That's a, that's a really good perspective. I mean, they really are buying all those other things. Your responsiveness, your attitude, all those things kind of come into play, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I I use both the Donato's app and the Jimmy John's app yeah. just for literally the convenience. I yeah. wouldn't say that I would I, I buy that stuff over something else. It's just the same thing of like, man, this is super convenient. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it. So if they, yeah, they've got the, my pre-saved orders, I just tap a button and... It's not like, you know, eloquent, eloquent cuisine or something. You're yeah. not really, you're not going there because it's the best food you can get or whatever. It's simplicity. Right, so they've right? mastered convenience, right? Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Oh, yeah, great. You got the sauce. These guys got the app. Yep. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, so the implementation uh, learning is, is, is interesting. You've got me thinking about my business. What extra other little things, you know, um, the side, the ease of doing business factors, right? Yes. Those things matter too, like one-page contract instead of a four-page contract, right, or whatever. Anything you can do to just make it more easy for customers to do business with you. Because it really is the, the whole, anything you buy, you know, whether you're buying a candy yeah, bar or anything, anything you buy, this, the, com- the complexity of having to buy it affects the Yeah, it's the not only like the ease, but it's just make it easy for them to understand and kind of getting them over the hump of like, Yes, this is possible. This seems like there's no risk to this. Like uh, any way that you can reduce risk in their opinion or reduce, you know, the what it takes to just, you know, believe that it's going to that it's going to work. Trust. Yeah. So it's all trust. Yeah. I was talking to a guy the other day who has a kind of a hybrid product services business in, this, mm-hmm. in the uh, information security space. I'm talking about the, the hype around entrepreneurs all want products, right? Because you can, you know, map, uh, you know, recurring revenue and all the yeah. fun stuff that's in the multiples and, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of, I mean, we're seeing now in this kind of like capital crunch, the implications of the full cost of service, software product, digital product, right? And service organizations, you know, customer success teams or whatever else are, are getting cut up and beat up and it's 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 hurting sales, right? There's a lot of bias toward making this. It's it's more than just a piece of software, right? right. It is all of the things. It's the total cost of... So, oh, great. I, I think of like electric cars or whatever else, right? And we've, we haven't really run into 
there, there haven't been a lot of battery replacements yet, right? Like, yeah. So there's, so there's all these new things as, as you know, software as a service or whatever has become pervasive. And I guess you could say this is maybe the first kind of almost recession since that's been pervasive, right? Right. Yeah. So it, it kind of yeah. tests the whole business model. Anyway, just more more perspective on that same concept that you pointed out that it really is about the the full cost of supporting that customer's need. Because customers don't really... Have you heard of the jobs to be done? There's a whole like framework for mm-hmm. selling whatever called, called jobs to be done. Customers don't really buy products or buy services. They just... They, they buy the company. They, well, they buy something getting done for them. Right. Right. That's, kind of, that's the premise of that book. They buy some. They buy. They buy a solution, right? They have a problem, and something gets done for them. It's a job to be done. They don't care if a man pops out of a box and hits it with a hammer to make it work, or or it's some kind of spaceship or whatever that does it automatically. It doesn't matter. They pay to get that thing done, right? That's one of the things I think that's interesting. Is our our company sells to business users, so our mm-hmm. primary people are you know people who are selling their software or the people on the server, you know, that are managing teams handling, you know, service requests. Okay. And they mainly buy us for the functionality provide, not, you know, it's not like they're buying a, a software component. Right. They're buying the whole solution. Really, they're just buying an OSIX. And it's all those things. It's the yeah. implementation. So, so how do you guys handle support? Is that been a pain point at all? Or is that is that smooth? Or what's your experience? Been? It's, it's, Fairly smooth. Is so it? we, um, I mean, we have you know a service portal that we that people can go log tickets on. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, we've. And I'm gonna knock on wood here because I'm fairly superstitious. But yeah. <laughs> we really don't have a lot of like support calls. Yeah. Um, we let's see the product for the product team. This year, we've only had one one thing that was reported, and mm-hmm. it was just. Uh, configuration issue we were able to resolve without a patch yeah okay um, put out some good quality code then huh? yeah well we have a very good qa team that we do all manual testing with a lot of our stuff yeah we run all of our stuff through like as the features being built it runs through a full qa cycle then before the release goes out we do regression full regression cycle on all the software so most of our support actually comes in as they want additional functionality because yeah. all that stuff comes through this. Like, like, oh, send this to the sales team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, good problems to have. How how are sales? Are you on track or ahead of schedule, behind schedule? I our sales schedule's the wrong word. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, our sales are doing fairly well. With like, I mean, there is kind of like a what you would call like a downturn, mm, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, not. I mean, it's nothing that really you know shocks us or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, nothing. Nothing devastating. You know, the new round of funding obviously will give, you know, add a little jolt uh, to the business. That's, that's got to have everybody excited, you know, building out your product even further. Do you anticipate? So I asked earlier about where do you see things going? And you kind of spoke to product enhancements and so on. Can, can we dig a little deeper into that? Yeah. So when you think about um, Anosics as an entity and your products, um, two years from now, where do you think like the next adjacent thing is or the next iteration of improvement? What does that deliver to your customers? How, what are your thoughts? I know you're not planning that far, right? Right. but you do kind of, you do kind of yeah, forecast. Yeah. And, and... So the long-term goals are to actually kind of move into other ERP systems. So oh, to move okay. into other ERP systems. So do the same like thing. Oracle or, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. To move into other ERP systems is kind of where 
our first stage right now is to kind of build out this middle API layer and move all of our existing tech to this API layer so that way we can somewhat interchangeably um, change out whether or not you're using one ERP system or another and your front end, your, you know, your system of engagement that you're, you're trying to hook up to that ERP system can be one of multiple different, you know, systems. Interesting. So then you kind of get like this Lego block scenario where it's like, you know, we've got this somewhat homogenized communication layer that's through AP, standardized APIs for business processes. And then you've got, you know, pick kind of like what front end applications are you going to integrate and what ERP systems do you want to integrate those with on the back end? Yeah, I was playing with Legos with my son the other day. So that makes me yeah. think of that. It's like, oh, I need this three, 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 you know, the three pin Lego or whatever. Well, that, that would be a big undertaking, I would assume, add the functionality to be able to plug it into Oracle or whatever else. I, I wouldn't think, I mean, yes, I'm sure. Doesn't seem that daunting to you? Well, I think if, if you were to go to any, any you know, business and say, all right, we want you to start building a new SAP integration layer, mm -hmm. go. I mean, yes, that sounds like a daunting challenge, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, we were able to do it, you know, with what didn't just happen overnight. Right. Uh, I guess you have a point of reference now. Right. Yeah, the interesting thing was you've learned aspects of the business beyond just the, the unique lines of code that would need to be created that you wouldn't have to relearn. Right. And we focus on very specific uh, business processes. So we focus mainly in the sales and service uh, processes. We're getting into some of the procurement processes with ServiceNow. Okay. But it's not like we're interfacing, we're not interfacing with, you know, HR yeah. or um, or other, you know, other parts of ERP. It's just very specific, you know, things that you would interface with like a service system or a CRM system. Okay. Your domain knowledge or your kind of your functional knowledge in that kind of like sales, CRM. Yeah, lane. we mainly focus in on manufacturing companies. That seems like a more uh, appropriate add-on uh, that going that same kind of lane in a different ERP system seems like a better add-on than yeah spreading yourself there. I mean, there's SAP. a lot. So there's a lot of you know software companies out there. You, you know, there's um, Informatica, Dell Boomi, even MuleSoft. Like they, you know, build these large iPaaS platforms out there. They'll, they'll connect to anything. Okay. SnapLogic. There's. I mean, there's yeah. there's a tons of them out there. They've got a million different connectors, but the connectors are all, you know, they're kind of just tools. Like they're it's just like, we're, it's just yeah. like, here's a hammer, here's a screwdriver, and here's kind of, they'll point you in the right direction, but putting the screws in, you're hammering the nails in yourself. I was just talking to a customer today about Snap Logic Hell that he's in with mm -hmm. the performance issue on the. Right, exactly. <laughs> the and I mean, that's, that's another thing that we focus on is we're doing real-time data virtualization out of SAP. So we're not moving data. Like we're able to show in um, sub-second um, performance in a, in a web browser being able to access SAP data. So to do that, there's a lot of optimization we do on like the back end through the communication stack, through the front end components. We're doing timing on all of that to make all of that performant. If you just try, were to try and just use some of these iPaaS platforms and just kind of string all that stuff together, it would work, but a user would never accept it because it's going to take, you know, 10 seconds for the screen to load. Man, we're, we're really impatient these days, aren't we? Yeah. I don't think I've waited for 10 seconds for a screen in a long, yeah, long time. Yeah, ex exactly. Well, it goes back to that, <laughs> to that like convenience yeah. thing. Like if you were going to order, 
if you're going to order your Domino's pizza, yeah, to pull and up you're, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, you know, pick your pizza, and it's spinning for 10 seconds, so you can't even see the pizzas that are available. Right. Yeah, no one's going to want We that. barely last three seconds anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder what the average abandoned uh, time is on an app screen load. It's probably single digit. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if the app doesn't load within, you know, a fraction of a second, if they don't see anything, it's like, oh, it's dead. Yeah. I'll go to something else. So this might sound like a stupid question. If it is, we'll edit it out. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it's good. Get ready for your editing. <laughs> you ready, Emerson? Yeah, Emerson. <laughs> Here comes the dumb question. So is SAP a competitor? No, we're a partner with SAP. Okay. So it's it's intriguing to me that they wouldn't have interest in uh, building some of this in right. this so, so SAP does have their own um, integration uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. So they have this, it's called Cloud Platform Integration, yeah. CPI, okay. um, that tons of people use. Even some of our customers use our technology yeah. in in parallel with, with CPI, or they do the same with MuleSoft or Dell Boomi or any of that other stuff. Um, but once again, you have to kind of like use those tools to construct your own house. Yeah. Okay. Whereas we're just, we're just pulling in the pre-built modular house yeah. and just, you know, they're selling lumber, you're selling yeah. walls, right? Well, we're selling a house. Okay. You're like a prefabricated house that comes off of a flatbed and you just bolt the thing together. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Where it's like full build components that do 80%. Wow. And then you're just going in and customizing it. That was a, that was a stupid question, but I'm glad it teed up a great answer. Oh, okay. Because I really yeah. kind of simplified it. Um, I mean, the level, the degree to which you've customized uh, the integration experience for the customers is really what it comes down to. It doesn't seem daunting to you to kind of build out the similar functionality for an Oracle integration. When you think about the vision, you know, a few years out, where you want to go, uh, what does seem like like a challenge? What seems like the most challenging part of, of where you want to be two to five years from now? See, I don't try not to even think to uh, a year out. <laughs> Um, Maybe the most challenging thing is is guessing what the world's going to be. Yeah, it's just guessing, you know, where technology's going to go. Um, it's just, it's almost like kind of like where's where's technology gonna go? So mm. like you know like you look at you know e- you know AIs now starting to like invade sure. the ringing in this you know low code. We're gonna you know enable um, business users, enable people who don't really have technical you know traditional mm-hmm. technical backgrounds, make them be able to fulfill their own requests that would normally go to an IT department. So okay. it's like normally. You know, 10 years ago, it's like, I want, you know, this button added to the screen that's mm-hmm. going to simplify this business process. This takes me half an hour, right. and I've got to click this button five times a week, so you're going to save all this time by, you know, automating this. IT, go. Go do this for me. And they would just say, oh, we're busy. We can't do that. You know, we're bringing consultants, <laughs> you know, right. all the same stuff that normally happens. Yeah. You know, there's clashes between those two business units. Now, what they're trying, you know, what we're pushing towards is, you know, low code and how are we going to now give the business users the ability to put their own button on there and yeah. have some API that they can call that, you know, IT's kind of pre-vetted or whatever. Right. You know, Coding as configuration person. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff or whatever. But what I think is going to be interesting is they're starting to now use AI to make business users be almost a little bit more, it's almost scary. It's like we're going to have AI kind of fill in the gaps of what we were going to have maybe some, you know, pseudo coders do. It is scary because 
somebody's going to do it poorly before it gets done well, right? Well, they're, they're beta testers, so. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. They're, they're the pilot customers, so. <laughs> right. We're just going to let this AI system do all your coding. It'll probably be fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I, I mean, two years, I think that is yeah. where um, things are going to, we're still going to continuously keep pushing for more APIs for everything to kind of like encapsulate the the hardcore, you know, business processes. We need those APIs to kind of make something that all these other things that we're building can consume it. You know, the AIs, the low codes, all that kind of stuff. Still need all those APIs to be consumed. Maybe what, at some point in time, AI will be able to pump those APIs out, but I, I don't know. That's going to be farther out. That seems pretty further out, but I could see where they're going to have some type of AI augmented, you know, low code solution to further, we'll call it enable, enable business, you know, users to do stuff. A little more plug and play yeah. capability, right? Yeah, it's hard to say well, what will happen in the next, you know, two to five years with, with those things. That's a, that's a really good point. That could change a lot of people's product development and so on when it comes down to that customization configuration aspect. Right? Like you might yeah. still, your core product or whatever, you're going to build it in a certain way, but... That kind of a la that last layer, wherever where the users somewhat savvy or the internal tech department of the customer or whatever, might have a little more room to 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 tweak things on their own. That's interesting. I hope your vision for that two to five year goal plays out just as you just as you'd like. If we see you guys doing exactly what you're doing in Oracle yep. uh, in a couple of years, what you're doing now in the SAP world, and congrats on the uh, the funding round. Yeah, and thanks. Kind of good luck getting you know kind of scaling that up and. And crushing all those goals over the next year or so. Yeah, it'll be. It should be interesting here with uh, kind of how the job market. Like, there's been a bunch of tech layoffs, so it is interesting that you know we were trying to find people. Um, what was it? It was like a year and a half ago when mm -hmm. like, you couldn't find yeah, anybody. Yeah, peak. And, yeah, exactly. So it's going to be interesting. We're just starting. Actually, everyone wants a house for a sign-on bonus. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. There. Yes. There were. It was amazing. I was talking to people who were like a year out of college, and expecting like, uh, like six-digit salary. Sometimes yeah. starting with like a two in the front. So it was yeah. just like uh, it was amazing. Um, yeah, I th I, you know, I don't think the bottom's falling out by any means, but people have kind of recoiled back a year to kind of how things were before it got berserk. Um, because it, it was really all those overpaying companies that are the ones that made the deepest cuts so far, right? Yes. Uh, that's not a coincidence, in my opinion. No, it's not. Yeah, they, yeah. Were, they were hoarding and, and hogging all the talent, and, and then they, they come loose as soon as they, they were done with them. Yeah, as soon as the cheap money dried up. It, you know, yeah, as soon as the yeah. money wasn't free anymore. Now it's back to you guys who can actually, you know, produce quality products and go to market with them and well, sell to customers. We're just a little bit more prudent with our with our funds. Yeah. Um, and we're yeah, we're not doing any speculative development or anything yeah. like that. And, you know, we're we are not, you know, over staffing, that's for sure. Yeah. So that's that's good. Well, congrats on the funding round. Good luck on the next year ahead. Thanks, Thanks. for being a guest. Appreciate yeah. you being on the show. Awesome. Uh, Thanks. Uh,